Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. As we, before we read this morning, I want to stop and just kind of marvel again at how God moves and how God works through when we just say, hey, we're going to move through a book of the Bible and let God set the agenda. Uh, because if you remember a couple of weeks ago on October the 31st, we were reading the very passage that sparked revival in Martin Luther's heart when he sparked the Protestant Reformation on the very day, 500 plus years to the day from that. And today we come into Thanksgiving weekend and we turn a page into Romans chapter 5 and we find something that is completely relevant for the week that we're going into. So today we're actually going to be preaching on gluttony. So I hope you're ready for that. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. That would be too relevant, wouldn't it? Um, no, it's not on gluttony, but it is on something very relevant. So let's look at, um, let's look at Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. We'll be really focusing on verses 1 through 5 this morning, but to get a whole idea of what the Lord is saying, we need to read verses 1 through 10. Beginning in verse number 1, it says, Therefore... Since we have been declared righteous by faith, which we've spent much time looking at what it means to be saved by grace alone through faith alone. He says, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. And endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us. This is what keeps us going, isn't it? This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who gave or who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God has proven his love, or God commended his love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how, then how much the more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. Lord God, thank you for this encouraging word. Thank you for this life-giving truth that because of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we now stand in an abundance of riches, an abundance of blessings, an abundance of benefits of being called your son and daughter. Lord, I pray that we would cling to the promises that we find here and cling to the position that we have in you. I pray, Lord, if there's somebody that is listening today through our podcast or through our virtual service or in here in this room this morning, if they do not know you, Father, if they have not placed their faith in you to be your to be their savior. I pray God that, that today would be the day so that they can stand in this position in you as well. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. We hear the word blessing a lot at church, right? I don't even know how many times. I, I didn't even track this morning. I prayed. We've had about three or four prayers already this morning. We, I think, probably have mentioned the word blessing somewhere about 455,000 times already, right? We throw the word blessing around in church a lot, don't we? 
We say, Lord, bless this person. Lord, bless that person. Sharing prayer requests and things. We say, God, I just, I just, got, I just want God to bless somebody. And we normally define blessings in a lot of different ways. But really, we're tempted to look at blessing in, in a very narrow scope. A lot of times the way we remind ourselves of what blessings are, we think of it as good things from God. I mean, after all, James chapter 1, James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus said this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, which is another name for God, who does not change like shifting shadows. So the Bible tells us that blessings come from God. And so those are good things for us to ask for. Those are good things for us to want. They're good things for us to pay attention to. But this is oftentimes, if we're not careful, it's the only way we tend to view the blessings of God as gifts from the hand of the Father and a Father who delights in spoiling his kids. And while that is very true, that is a side of God the Father that we oftentimes don't make enough of a deal about, that he delights in spoiling his kids, his blessings do not always feel good. At the same time, sometimes he blesses us with learning opportunities, doesn't he? Don't you love those blessings, right? I'm like, Lord, couldn't you just bless me with the new car without having to learn the lessons along the way? Couldn't you just bless me with the thing that I asked for without giving me all of the roads on the way to it? You see, here's what the way Daniel Webster defines it in the dictionary. He defines a blessing as two different things. He defines it as a prayer that implores happiness either for yourself or implores happiness for somebody else. And he also defines it as a piece of good fortune. And those are blessings. As, we, as Christians, as we walk with Jesus, we come to understand that blessings are both. We pray for goodness, and we also give God the glory for the goodness that he gives us. And while it's true that God's blessings are good for us, what happens when the blessings that God gives us don't feel like gifts? What happens when it's rough? What happens when the blessing that he gives us is preparing us for him to use us more, and he has to take us through the valley before we can get to the mountain? In the midst of the valley, will we still turn around and say, God, I thank you for blessing me. In the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the chaos, do we still turn around and realize that the trouble was actually the blessing that I was walking through? Or we learn sometimes that the blessing in the midst of the trouble is actually not God delivering me from the trouble, but his abiding presence during that trouble. Where would we be if we were in the valley alone? How much worse would the valley be if we did not have the light of the Lord to guide us? If we did not have the hand of the Lord to hold us? If we did not have the shoulders of the Lord to carry us through that? Sometimes we only look at blessings as the goodness of God that's poured out to his people in return for righteousness and service. Sometimes say, you know what, I got to do everything God wants me to do or God won't bless me. Almost like it's some sort of eternal or spiritual reward system. That if I do everything, I'm going to climb up the ladder of spiritual success and God's just going to rack blessing upon blessing upon blessing at me. This is the prosperity gospel that if I sow this seed, God's going to bless me with more. It's like a give and take. It's a way of manipulating God. I want more. So God, if I do this over here, it cuts a deal with God that he'll give me more over here. And that's not the way the blessings of God work either. See, our blessings come as a way of teaching us or refining us for the benefit of his glory and for our good. And when we're bringing God the most glory, it doesn't matter what we're doing to bring him glory. That's what's for our best good. You see, in either case, how amazing is it that the God of the universe, the creator of all things would stoop low enough to look at us individually and say, I'm going to bless that child with something. I'm going to bless them with air in their lungs. I'm going to bless them with a roof over their head. I'm going to bless them with relationships that speak positively. I'm going to bless them with the days that they have on earth. And you may be sitting here thinking, you know what? That's about all I got. I'm barely getting by. God is only giving me the bare minimum of blessings. Blessings. 
But can I encourage you with this right now? If you are his child, you are blessed beyond measure. If you have breath in your body and air in your lungs and you have, the, you have salvation through Jesus Christ, you are rich beyond wildest comparison. The richest man in the world without Christ is destitute spiritually. The poorest person in the world with Christ is spiritually rich beyond measure. We nod our heads and we say amen to that, but do we live that way? Do we live that way? How amazing is it that the God of the universe would see fit to send good fortune and good favor to us as we are sinners? And how miraculous is it that God would choose to cross the void that we created by sin and give us a way back to God after we destroyed it? How miraculous is it that he would want us back after we rebelled, after we turned on him? Just like we sang this morning, how amazing is it that his mercy is more while our sin is great, his mercy is more? That is a miracle. We sang a miracle in song this morning. That while my sin is many, his mercy is more. Truthfully, we're worthy of nothing. And you're like, man, I get tired of coming to church and hearing how bad I am. Don't come to church and pay attention to how bad you are. Pay attention to how good God is. Because it don't matter how bad you are. It, what matters is how good God is and are you clinging to him so with, while some blessings come as a result of what we may do in our obedience and service to him, while some blessings may come as a way of him teaching us, others come just as a result of knowing him, just as a result of being part of the family, all right? I don't know how it is in your family, but uh, sometimes in some families, there is huge pressure to live up to the family name. Maybe you're from a famous family, or maybe you... Uh, Maybe you're following in the footsteps of greatness. Maybe your parents were like really well known or something. Or maybe you have a brother or sister that was really well known. And you have to follow in the footsteps of greatness. And so there's pressure for you to carry on the family name. Because there's a lot of benefits that come from being part of that family. Like if your name is Rockefeller, you got some benefits, right? Uh, you know, if, if your name is, 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 uh, is Gates right now. Isn't that, no, that's not Gates. It's, uh, what's the guy in Amazon? Bezos. If your name is Bezos, you got some benefits that other people don't. Well, here's the thing. We bear the name of Jesus Christ. We're part of a benefited family. We're part of a very privileged family. And there are privileges, there are benefits of following the Lord God. There are benefits that we get just because we know him as Savior. And that's what I want to look at this morning. And I find it so amazing that our expository preaching that we started, that we started months ago in Romans has brought us on the Sunday before Thanksgiving to look at the benefits and the blessings of knowing God. And we spent a lot of time looking at, man, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. You're awful. You know, we could have been spending Sunday morning before Thanksgiving looking at how awful we are and how sinful we are. But we come on chapter 5 to hear our blessings and benefits of knowing God. So let's look at some of them. There's five of them, and I'm going to try to get through them really, really, really fast, okay? I'm going to try to get through them about as fast as I can get through two plates on Thanksgiving morning, all right? All right. The blessings of knowing God. First of all, the first blessing of knowing God is the blessing of peace with God. And this is going to come just straight out of our text. The text is the sermon. All right. We want it to always be that way, but the text is the sermon this morning. The blessing of peace with God. When we come to know Jesus Christ, we have now been placed at peace with God. Look again at verse number one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and that is important, we must be justified by faith. It is by faith in Christ, faith in the work that Jesus Christ did, not in what I did. Because we have to understand, if we think that we earned our salvation, then we think that we have a part in the peace. We don't. 
God is the one who gives us peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. We have now peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a peace that we get. That first, the first level of peace is the peace that we get of justification. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, by faith we have peace with God. The very fact that Paul mentions that we have peace with God implies that before Jesus, what? We weren't at peace with God. I don't know about you, but if there's anybody's bad side I don't want to be on, it's the God of the universe, right? The God who could say, hey, let there be light. And all of a sudden, light had never existed before. And all of a sudden, it does. That tells me that if God can make something exist, <laughs> he can cause something to not exist too. We sometimes underestimate the power and the might of God. But God shows his power. God shows in his justice and in his mercy and his grace to use his power for redeeming purposes rather than just wiping us off the face of the earth when we sinned. And the Bible tells us that we were at enmity with God or we were at hostility with God. It implies that it's now that we have peace with God implies that at one time we were not in a state of peace with God, that at one time we were in a state of strife or in a state of war with God. And this was the time before we were saved. It was the time when sin reigned in our flesh. It was the time when doubt just filled our days. The time when we were in rebellion to God when we said, yeah, I know what God says, but I'm going to do it my way. Or when we said, I don't know if there is a God, or I'm going to fight against God in everything he does. And let me just say this. There are times when, as a child, you can have a civil war with God. You can be his child and still be at war with God. You still can. The question is, are you in the flesh, or are you walking in the Spirit? The Bible tells us that we are justified through faith. That means that when God looks at us, it looks like we just had never sinned before. It means that the record and the account of our sin is gone because when he looks at us, he doesn't look at us. He looks at his son, Jesus Christ. That's why it says we are justified through Christ. That word justified means to declare something as righteous or to vindicate or to cause one to be in a right relationship. It's not saying that we're not guilty anymore. Okay, catch this. It's not saying that because I've been forgiven that I'm not guilty anymore. It's saying that God's not holding me guilty anymore. God is choosing not to look at me as guilty. Oh yeah, I'm guilty of the crime, but he's not going to hold it against me. Because he's going to look at the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers it. Jesus paid for that, and the price has been paid. I'm still guilty as charged, but I am pardoned in Christ. That's what justification means. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And here's the thing, God's never going to bring it up at family dinner. Hey, you remember when you... If that starts happening, if it's under the blood and it starts coming up again, it's not God bringing it up. It's the accuser of the brethren. And he still has a job to do to try to hold us down. But in our justification, we now have peace with God. And that peace reigns in our heart that if I'm at peace with God, I can be at peace with myself. See, this is the essence of our salvation. In our flesh, we're enemies of God at war with him, at, at, at odds with him. But through justification, we're at peace with him. How does this happen? I'm glad you asked. It happens through Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen through me. It doesn't happen through you. It doesn't happen, go, happen through going to the right church. It happens through Jesus Christ. And that's what we see. He says we have peace in verse number one through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the peace that comes to us through Christ's redemption. See, I'm not justified by what I do. You're not justified by what you do. You are justified by what Christ has done. This is a faith. This is a religion. Christianity is a religion of borrowed righteousness. We are literally riding on the coattails and on the robe tails and on the shoelaces of our Savior. Everything we have is because of what he did. 
We are the biggest freeloaders in history, is what we are. And you know what? That's a good thing. It's not by my works. It's not by righteousness that I have done. It's all by what he has done. And I know I'm beginning to sound like a broken record. And I know it sounds like, man, ever since we've been Romans, all you've been saying is it's not by works, it's by faith. Because we need to get it. Because that's the gospel. Salvation is not through work. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. See, there was and there still is nothing that you and I could ever do to bridge that uncrossable gap that we created by sin. So Jesus laid across the gap and became the bridge for us. He is our way to salvation. I love what Ephesians says in Ephesians chapter 2. says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We weren't brought near by us crawling our way to him or anything. We're brought near by the blood of Christ. And it says, for he is our peace. Jesus is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Or in the King James, you'll see that dividing wall of enmity. It goes back to that. We were once enemies of God and now we are at peace with God. The war is over. There is no more fighting to do. We surrender to the Lord and he carries us to victory and we get his victory. You can fight him and fail or you can walk in his freedom and find victory. See, Jesus has given us peace in a world of chaos. And we live in a chaotic world, right? There's chaos everywhere. Jesus has given us that peace in the world of chaos. That doesn't mean that we're not still going to have bad days. That doesn't mean... That while, <clears throat> that while you're trying to be a good dad, you don't forget the money that your kid needed at school this week. All right, and so they're there without the money. That doesn't mean that as a dad, you forget that it was dress down day and so you sent your kid to school in a uniform. I have had a bad week as a dad. I'm just gonna let you know, okay? It just doesn't mean all those. That doesn't mean that you're not gonna still have that happen. But I'm talking about the victory that we have in Jesus Christ over sin and the mortal flesh that we have. Are we still gonna mess up? Yeah. Are we still going to have times when we feel like we're at civil war with God? We are. But that justification in Christ never ceases. And so we can have peace with him. So when you're thinking about what benefit you can thank God for this year, even if nothing else has been going on, thank God that you're at peace with him. And if you're not at peace with him, today may be the day. Today may be the day to sign the treaty. Today, today may be the day to lay down arms, stop fighting him, and trust him. The second thing that we see, the second blessing and benefit that we see is the blessing of access to God. Not only am I at peace with God, but now I have access to him. Look at verse number two. We have also obtained access through him. Who is him? Jesus Christ. We have obtained access through Jesus by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. First of all, this is an access that is granted to us by the grace of God. It's access that is granted to us by the grace of God. We don't deserve it. We don't have any business being close to him, but he allows us through his grace. If you and I worked at the Pentagon or at some top secret kind of place, some government place or maybe Area 51 where they try to hide all the aliens, I don't think that's going on. I'm just saying. I'm not a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. But you know something. If you've ever worked in military, you work in something that's high security, you know something about levels of clearance. You get hired in at an entry-level position, you're not going to get a badge that's going to go behind all the doors that have big metal locks on them or eye scanners and all that stuff. As you move up and as more trust is given to you and as you qualify yourself more and as you need to know that information, you're given access into certain parts of those buildings and in certain bases and certain places because you're worthy of that access. 
But here's the thing about our access to God. None of us are worthy of it. None of us. None of us are worthy of access to God. We're made worthy through the blood of Christ. Through the grace of God. I have full access to the throne room of God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And you know why I have that access? Because of Jesus Christ. And because God is our heavenly Father. You know who I don't, <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> that'd be funny. I should do, start doing badge clearance uh, in our house. You know, tell the girls, you, you, you can't come into this certain room or that certain room. You can only approach me on the hours of this to this and see how that works, right? No, when you're family, you have access all the time. All the time. We're family with God and we have access, but that is access that is given through grace, not through anything that I have proven. It's through everything that he has given. See, being a believer doesn't make me better off it doesn't make me better. It makes me a larger debtor to grace. I'm no longer a debtor to sin, but I'm a debtor to grace. And here's the thing about God's grace. God's grace continually and will forever cancel that debt out. His grace upon grace upon grace. He continually invites me into a relationship. with It's accessed by the grace of God and it is access that we have to the glory of God. We can never forget that promise that we have access to God. And why do we use that access? We have a choice. We can use that access for my glory or for his. This is why so many of us struggle with our prayer life. This is why so many of us struggle to really worship in spirit and in truth. Because deep down somewhere, where what we say it may not, deep down somewhere we're struggling with this notion that all this is about us. All of it's about us. But my access to God is not even about me. I'm thankful for it, but it's about him. It's about me drawing close to the beauty of his holiness and being changed to where I no longer pray just what I want, but I begin to pray in accordance with the will of God. And I begin to use that closeness and that intimacy with God, and I glorify him through it. And I don't use it as a ladder step for me to glorify myself. It's access to the glory of God. See, we're like walking trophies or billboards of God's grace. The fact that I have access to the Father that word access, by the way, is from the Greek, which is prosogohe, okay? That's a fun word. Say that again, prosogohe, right? It means to gain entrance. It also means for the right to speak. So I have prosogohe, I have access. It's like a person who has been summoned or subpoenaed to give account or to be a character witness for somebody. It means that the access that I have to God, he invites me in to know him so that I can make him better known to others. So that as I know him, I begin to tell people what I know about him. That's what this access is for. The blessing that I have of access to God is not that I have a personal genie in the sky that gives me what I pray hard enough for. Access to God is so that I can get to know the beauty of the Savior so I make him more beautiful to the people who don't know him yet. And along the way, he blesses me infinitely. It's access to speak to God. The very fact that I have a right to walk into the throne room and approach him is a blessing that I don't deserve and I would never deserve on my own. But it doesn't matter if you've been saved for a decade or your whole life or for a second. Everyone has the same access to the same throne because we have the same Savior, the one who carries us in. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 16, it says this, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It says we can approach the throne with boldness. I don't know about you, but there's a few places in the world that if I get summoned to go, I'm going to be scared. One of those places, if I'm in sin, if I get summoned to the physical throne room of God, I'm going to be scared. 
But I can go and I should delight in being able to go to the throne room of God in prayer because I've been given access to him. He's not my judge. He's my father at that point. He's my father who judges me righteously. Approach the throne of grace with boldness. Knowing we'll be welcomed. Knowing we won't be turned away. Remember when the girls were really little? I don't want to embarrass them, but there were times when they would come in on Saturday morning, Stacy and I were trying to sleep, and they would wake up early. Those were a long time ago with Natalie. Um, but they would come in early, and they would just bust in. No knocking, no nothing. they just run in. There were times that they would come in in the middle of the night, and it's weird. Have you ever had this happen? You're asleep, and the kid is like right there looking at you, just like waiting for you to wake up. And it's like, what is going on? Well, I didn't want to wake you up. Like, so you just wanted to give me a heart attack when I did? Right? Why? Because they have that access. They have no fear of approaching their father or their mother. Although the fact they came to their father shows they, they were a little bit more afraid of their mom than their dad. And no, I'm just teasing. They have that access. That's the access that we have. That's the blessing and the benefit that we have access to the creator of the world, to the life sustainer, to the, to the blessing giver. And also, though, to the great fearful judge, holy and righteous, but we have access to him. And we can approach him, great in power, as though he is gentle like a father. So the Apostle Paul encourages us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, when we truly understand the blessing of access to God, that we will pray without ceasing or we will pray constantly. He wants to hear from us way more often than we often want to go to him. It's an access that is granted through Jesus Christ because he's our high priest. We don't have that access on our own. I can't go busting in the doors of the throne room in the middle of the night if Jesus is not my savior. My access is granted. My key code entrance is Jesus Christ. If you don't know Christ, you will never, you will never succeed at your prayer life. You'll never feel like you're connecting to God because it's through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, that we connect to him and have access to him. Thirdly, the blessing that we also get after access and after peace is assurance from God. We have the blessing of assurance. There's something that happens when we are at peace with God. We have assurance with God as well. Verses 3 and 4 show us this. Not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. The key word in this whole verse is know. K-N-O-W. In the original Greek, it's used in what's called the perfect past tense, meaning that this translates to something that we have seen and already know, and as it happens, we already know it. So, kind of like this. Um, everybody knows pretty much that I'm a Chicago Cubs fan, right? Well, back in 2016, Cubs finally made it to the World Series, all right? And as a Cubs fan, that don't happen in, in a lot of people's lifetimes. And as a Cubs fan, you've seen a lot of crazy things happen, how they, they just managed to blow it, all right? And the Cubs went up like three games to one on Cleveland, and everything was looking good. And then they lost two games, and the series got tied, and they had to go back to Cleveland. And I'm thinking, oh, man, we're going to Cubs this thing completely to death. Always count on the Cubs to be the Cubs, right? Well, they get up by a few runs, and then all of a sudden in the last inning, Cleveland comes back and ties it. And I'm thinking, this is it. This is where it all dies. This is where the dream dies. Another 108 years. Uh, hopefully I'll make it, right? And I'm watching it. And, and on top of that, they go into extra innings. And at the bottom of the ninth inning, as the, endi as the inning is, is, is ending, r the heavens just open. And it starts pouring rain. And it goes into a 17-minute rain delay. And all through that rain delay, they're saying, well, if it doesn't stop, they'll have to start tomorrow. And I'm thinking, great, Cleveland has all the momentum. They're going to have a night to sleep on it. They're going to come back, and it's, it's just going to end. It's just going to be bad for the Cubs. And all of a sudden, the heavens stop, and the rain stops, and they come back, and they're going to play it. That was the longest 17 minutes of my life. 
But then it was only followed by the longest inning of my life after that. First batter, Kyle Schwarber gets up and he drills a single into, into right field. And the, and the Cubs score. They go ahead in the top, of the top of the tenth. And so Cleveland comes up in the bottom of the tenth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it could actually happen. Do you have any idea how long that 17-minute rain delay was for me? It felt like 108 years. The tension and the stress, and I'm about to have a heart attack and all that stuff happening. Stacy and the girls went on to bed because it was like 12.45 by the time the game finally ended. But when Rizzo caught that final out from Chris Bryant, can, can we stop for a minute? Because Rizzo should not be a Yankee, okay? He just shouldn't be one, okay? Just, I'm working on that. But when that finally happens, it's over. But here's the thing. I like to go back and I like to watch recordings of that game. And when, they, when, when Cleveland ties it up in the ninth, I don't get stressed anymore. I don't even say cuss words. I don't get mad. No, I didn't that night either. I thought him. But, um, and then when the rain delay comes, I ain't nervous. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to fast forward 17 minutes because I already know. This is what it means when it says that we can know in God the assurance. I know because I've already seen the end. I've already read the end. I don't have nerves anymore. I have assurance in God that he is going to keep me. He is going to protect me. I am secure in him. I can know. And then Paul lists some things that are not very, not very cool, right? He says afflictions, all right? We're, we're talking about the blessings of God, and then he says, I'm going to have afflictions. God's power and God's grace, and here's, here's how cool the gospel is. The gospel can even turn our bad days into glorious moments for the glory of God. Just remember that. The trouble you're going through right now, God may be using to glorify himself through you. And once you walk through that, you're going to see the goodness of God. But we have the assurance of God's strength. He is going to carry us through those afflictions. We have the assurance of God's purpose that he is forming himself in us. He is forming his character in us. Jesus, if you look back at the life of Jesus, he didn't have an easy life, did he? If Jesus was God's son, he should have been born as a king. He should have walked as a king with a silver spoon in his mouth. He should have never had a problem. But what happened to Jesus? He was born on the wrong side of the tracks to a Jewish carpenter from the wrong tribe, from the lowest tribe. All of these things that went against him. He was a nomad. He was spat upon. He was beaten. He was rejected. He was doubted. People ran from him all over the place. One time he preached to thousands of people. And at his last moment, there were only three people that were with him. Everyone else rejected him. Jesus went through affliction. He knows this. But he pressed through it for the glory that was set before him, just like we must do. The assurance that we have in God helps us to press through the affliction that is set before us because we know the joy that will be on the other end. See, there's somebody that needs to hear this desperately. God is not wasting his salvation on you, and he's also not wasting your life on you either. God is using it for his glory and for your good. God, and, and, and there's somebody here that needs to hear this too. God's not giving up on you. You may be just close enough to give up on God right now. He's never going to give up on you, ever, ever. Even if you're not saved, he hasn't given up on you because you still have breath in your body. And right now, if you're listening to me, you're hearing God say, come home, come home. Will you do it? So don't fight it when affliction might sting. Don't doubt it when it might look dark. Don't ignore it when it's right in front of you. And don't reject it when it's reaching out to take your hand. God is good. He's not going to give up on you. And no matter what you may walk through, God is still good and he's not giving up on you. So please don't give up on him. See, there's the assurance of his purpose in your life. There's the assurance of his promise in our life as well. He formed us for his purpose and he has given us great and precious promises. Take a moment and track the moments where you saw God work 
in ways that you never thought he could. See, oftentimes what we remember is the letdowns. Remember the lift-ups. Remember the moments that he lifted us up. We also have the assurance of his love. Verse, verse number five, this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. God's love has been poured out to us. See, you can have assurance that you're loved by God. Even in the midst of the darkness, you don't have to doubt whether you're loved by him. When you don't understand what his hand is doing, you never have to doubt that his heart is fully in love with you. Never. God's love is something that we never have to doubt. This past three weeks, I've been, been able to do, uh, been able to uh, kind of fill in for Brother Ryan, who's been taking kind of a, a sabbatical uh, for a little while, which he desperately, desperately has deserved and needed. I've been helping with the youth, and for three weeks I've been looking at the prodigal son. We know the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son basically said, Dad, you're better off dead to me. Went out, wasted all of his money. Son thought, you know what, I have no right to go back, but I'm going to, I have no right to go back as a son, but I need to go back as a servant because I know that my father, not only does he take care of his kids, he takes care of the people under his household as well, so I'm better off there. He goes back and he is surprised when his father doesn't receive him as a servant, but receives him as a son again. You see, God's love never gives up on us, even when we're the ones who create the affliction, even when we're the ones who create the darkness, even when we're the ones who wander away. The Father's love endures our hatred. The Father's love endures our mistakes and our failures. It endures our doubts. It endures our shame. His love endures it all. So that is why we never have to fear. This is the assurance that we have as sons and daughters of God that no matter how many times we play the prodigal, we never have to lose the assurance that the love of God is still there. We can never repay that kind of love, ever. We can't repay it. We can't say, hey, thanks God, let me give you something in return. All we can do is live in humble gratitude for the love that has overwhelmed us. Fourthly, and I'm going to move through these last two things very quickly, the benefit of the indwelling of God. We have the benefit of being indwelled by God. He says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It's not some higher tier of Christian or some level up that you get as you progress through, the, through some Christian pyramid scheme. The moment we are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit and he lives inside of us and he carries on a special ministry. This is how we know that God never leaves us and never forsakes us. It's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, that God lives inside of us. How awesome is that? That God lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit gives us also power. It means that we have the power of God working inside of us and working for the glory of God as well. So the benefit is not just that I serve God. The benefit is not just that I've been given so many things. Is the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and works through me as well. I am an ambassador of God because God is inside of me as well. As much as I'm in Christ, God is in me, working through me and working to do amazing things. The Holy Spirit right now is at work convicting you of sin and your need forgiveness. He's convincing you of God's goodness and his grace in your life. He's illuminating and instructing us in what the word says and guiding us in our steps. The indwelling of God is a great gift that he's given to us. He's also not working just in us, but he's working through us, empowering us to serve and empowering us to reach others. But then lastly, we have to understand the benefit of being preserved by God. The benefit of the preservation of God. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Here's where we're going to spill down just a little bit, and this is amazing. It's kind of like the blessings of God. They just overflow. If we try to put everything in the basket of verses 1 through 5, it doesn't hold all the blessings. We see this other blessing that just spills out in verse number 9. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? If we've been justified by his blood, we will be saved by him in wrath. Verses 6 through 11 deal with all the things that Jesus went through so that we could have these blessings. And the blessing that we have is that we will be saved. And I love the way that that is written. We will be saved. Not only have we been saved from our sins, but we will be saved from the ultimate result of our sins of death. And also right now we are being saved as well. What that means is once I'm saved, I am always saved. I'm saved now. I was saved when I asked him and I'm saved forever to the glory of God. That means my salvation is complete and I'm completely preserved in him. Let me ask you this. What good are all these blessings that we talked about? What good is church? What good is Christianity? What good is all of it if those blessings can be taken away at the moment, at a moment's notice? If those blessings can be snatched out of our hands, if our salvation can just be ripped out of our hands, what good is Jesus if he can only save us for the moment but not for eternity? No, that's not Jesus. When Jesus does something, he does it, does it completely and he does it internally. I'm not just saved from my past, but I'm saved for my future. And that future is eternal with him. This means the war that we talked about is eternally over. It's over. It's eternal peace. The security that he gives us gives us reason to worship him. That's how we kind of close everything out this morning with all these blessings that we've been given. Peace with him, access to him, assurance in him, all of these blessings that we've been given that we don't deserve. How do we respond to it? I don't know about you, but when I've been given more than I deserve, I want to return thanks. I want to worship. I want to thank him for who he is. That should be our response, to worship him and to glorify him through all of this. Look at what it says in verse number 11. We also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All through Romans, we've seen boasting looked at in a negative way, right? It says, don't boast in your works. Don't boast in this. Don't boast in that. Now we see what we are to boast in. You want to boast in something? Boast in the goodness of God. Boast in your Savior. Boast in who he is. Boast in his beauty. Boast in his holiness. Boast in these blessings that we have and never get over them. So as we approach a season of Thanksgiving and a season of Christmas and all that where we begin to turn our focus upon traditional things, I want to bring some things that have always been there as a child of God that we may oftentimes overlook. When you sit down at the table on Thursday, remember you're at peace with God. The war's over. That you have assurance in him. That you have access to him. That you have preservation in him. And no matter how uncertain things may be around you, there is one thing for certain. If I know Christ, I am his. He is mine. I am secure in him. The question as we close though is, are you secure? Do you know for sure that Christ is your savior? If you don't, come to know him today. Because that's the beautiful benefit of Jesus as well. Is he just invites us to come. He doesn't set up a bunch of hoops for us to run through. We are justified, as we saw in verse number one, by faith in Jesus Christ. Will you trust him? As we bow our heads and as we close our eyes and we go into a moment of prayer and a time of response. Father, I pray that you would move in this time. Pray that you would work in our hearts and in our lives today. 
I don't know what there may be. There may be somebody here this morning, Lord God, you already know. You know the condition of our hearts. You know the position of our souls. If there is someone here this morning or there's somebody watching today that is outside of you, outside of your grace, man, let them come to you today. If there's somebody here that's saved, but like I said earlier, maybe we're just at civil war with him right now, with, with you, Lord God. I pray, Father, that that war would end, that we would find complete and total surrender to the beauty of your holiness, to the access that we have in you. That we wouldn't run from you, that we'd run to you and use that access to be given clarity and how good you are. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.